Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them to the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, a physical Bible, it is the second uh, book of the New Testament. If you have your phones or you're looking online to the app, the notes are there as well. Go to the events section of the Bible app and you can follow the notes there. We're in a series called Six Life-Changing Prayers for 2021, and we have begun with this premise that following Jesus was never meant to be safe. I think sometimes we can picture Christianity as something that alleviates all of our problems and gives purpose to our lives and and makes our lives just so really easy, doesn't it? And honestly, if we're telling the truth, that, that really rarely never happens. Not for a moment, not for a day, sometimes not for an hour. Our lives are difficult and they're challenging. And as we, as we look at these prayers, we've identified that, that this idea of following Jesus was never meant to be safe. We were designed to be pushed out of our comfort zone and take some divine risks in our Christian life and to trust Him more. And so in this series, we've looked at a few prayers. We looked at uh, four different prayers already. Uh, Make me bold, Lord. John and Peter prayed this, speak to me. Uh, Samuel at 10 years old prayed that prayer. Align my heart with yours. Uh, Break my heart for what breaks yours. This was spoken by Jeremiah. And then last week we looked at search me God. King David spoke that prayer. Our, Our hope is that these prayers are more than a series, but these actually become a part of your daily prayer life. Today's prayer is this, break me. So today we'll look at two stories in one chapter in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 14. And the two stories, the first story we're going to look at is the prostitute and her perfume, Uh, Mark chapter 14. Um, In Mark's Gospel, she's not identified as a prostitute, but as you read through the four Gospels, you know that this woman, this was her career path. Uh, It means that she probably had... Been dealt cards in life where she felt like this was the only way to get by. She lived a life where she was most likely hated by most women and used and abused by many men. And then one day, one specific man honored her, showed her respect, loved her appropriately. And maybe for the first time, she was treated with respect by a man. And it so transformed this woman that she wanted to worship him so wholeheartedly in such a way that would reflect what her heart was feeling. And so she gave sacrificially. We're going to read this story in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 3. It says this, while he was in Bethany, this is talking about Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. We're going to run through this story, but as we do, we're going to ask some questions. Question number one, whose home was Jesus in? Simon the leper, right? Simon the leper. So Mark 14 sounds like the beginning of a really bad joke. A rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute walk into the home, right? This is the scene though. We have Jesus who was considered teacher and rabbi. We have this 
uh, leper who was considered an outsider of society, someone who was uh, looked on with disdain. Uh, I was looking at what it means to have leprosy in biblical times. It's a little different than what we refer to as uh, modern-day leprosy, but biblical leprosy would would include boils and fungus and infections and other uh, diseases. Um, And so when you had leprosy uh, and you were identified as a leper, this label dominated your life. You were no longer Simon the uh, the craftsman. You were no longer Simon the carpenter. No matter what you had achieved in life, no matter what your family looked like, you were always going to be Simon the leper. And the law had, had very specific rules about who the leper could associate with and who the leper could be around. In fact, all of those laws were designed to protect everyone outside the leper, to really highlight this label in this person's life. And so most people in Mark chapter 14, when they found out that someone was a leper, this was a signal for you to just remove yourself from that company, to avoid them. There were laws protecting people from lepers, and yet here they are in Simon the leper's home along with some other disciples. What does, uh, what does the prostitute have with her? Look at the verse again. What does she have with her? Help me out this morning. Yeah. Alabaster jar of expensive perfume, right? So we see that, uh, that there's this alabaster jar, very expensive perfume made of pure nard. If you Google nard, you'll, you'll uh, realize it's an essential oil that was highly prized in Mark chapter 14. Uh, it could be used uh, in religious ceremonies, burial ceremonies. It was extremely valuable because it was found in a very specific location in India and in the Himalayas. So it was a valuable trading good. We find out later in this chapter that the amount of perfume that she had was equal to a year's worth of income. So I just want you to figure out what you make in a year and imagine a bottle containing perfume worth that amount. Ordinary woman would not be able to own the perfume, let alone wear it. It was extremely rare. And most scholars believe that for this woman, it was, uh, it was part of her craft. What I mean by that is she would take that perfume because it was so distinct and so rare. And when she was out uh, looking for business, as it were, she would wear some of that perfume so that the aroma would alert the men she was around, I'm available for business. So what does she do with this very expensive perfume? Look at verse 13. At the end it says this, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. She broke the jar, poured the perfume. She broke it and poured it. Now what were the disciples' reaction? This is my favorite part. Mark 14, verse 4. I love this. Look at this verse. Uh, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Everybody say the word why. Why? Now say it like you're really upset that you just lost the year's worth of wages you could have used for something else. Say it again. 
Why this waste of perfume? Verse 5, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they what? Rebuked her harshly. This must be like a scene in a movie where it starts going in slow motion and, and she, she goes to break the jar and it kind of happens in slow motion and the disciples are rushing over in slow motion. No! It's a year's worth. I'm going to be honest with you, I would be part of verse 4. I, I would have been part of verse 4. I'd have been like, why are you breaking this jar? We're thousands and thousands of dollars. Don't you know what we could have done? We could have fed all these people in Douglas County. We could have, uh, we could have, um, did you say give the preacher a raise? I didn't say that. Steve said it. Why, why, why this waste of perfume? And they rebuked her harshly. Don't break the jar. Don't use all of it. Man, you didn't have to break the whole jar. Just give them a drop. It's powerful. It's, it's, it's uh, aroma is strong. One or two drops would have been fine. Why the whole jar? And rather than to preserve the perfume, she broke the jar. She poured the perfume on his hand. And her act of worship was so extravagant that people couldn't make sense of what she was doing. Essentially, this is what she was saying. In this moment, I'm breaking what represents my livelihood, what represents my past. What I used to do with this jar, I no longer am going to do anymore. I'm breaking the jar. I'm giving you my whole life. I'm giving you the most valuable part of my life that I have. This thing that represented my past and what my future held for me, I now break it. I'm leaving my past. I'm giving you my future source of income. You have loved me so well that, that I will break what I have so that I can give it to you now. I'm giving you my life savings. The most valuable possession I have, I have broken and I poured out. Broken and poured out. Uh, we're going to go to the second story is in the same chapter. And, and the second story is Jesus, his disciples, and the Last Supper. The story immediately follows the first story we just covered. And in a sequence of events, a sequence of events this next story happens right after Simon the leper's house. Jesus is gathering his disciples and followers for a last meal. These were his closest. And he knows what is coming. He knows he's been foretelling. He's been talking about that he would no longer be with them. And what's coming next is the cross and his death. And so we pick up the story during the meal in Mark 14 and verse 22. It says this, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, what did he do? He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, this is my body. And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he says in verse 24, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly, I tell you again, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in new in the kingdom of God. He broke the bread and the blood was poured out. 
The first story says, my, my jar is broken and I pour it all out in worship, giving you everything that I have, everything that I am. The second story is Jesus saying, my body is broken for you and my blood will be poured out, giving you everything that I have, everything that I am. Luke reports on the same story. And so the way the Gospels work is you have four different authors and they report um, their time with Jesus, what they did, what they saw, everything they saw Jesus do, everything they were a part of, they gave their, uh, their firsthand account. They were witnesses to what Jesus did. And so Mark's Gospel, uh, if you read through the book of Mark, it's the, it's the shortest of all the Gospels. Uh, Mark is very quick-paced. Um, there's a lot of action in Mark. In fact, if you read through the Mark and you just uh, highlight or circle all the action words, um, the, movie, the, 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 the scene is quick pace. Uh, there's a lot of movement in Mark's gospel. Luke has a different approach. What does Luke do for an occupation? He's a doctor. So the doctor in Luke likes details. There's a lot more descriptive words in Luke's gospel. Uh, probably a casualty of his occupation, but he likes to record the details. He likes to, uh, it's really interesting if you read the last four chapters of Luke, actually. Um, there's, there's, much, uh, there's uh, more physical descriptions of Jesus on the cross than any other gospel. Because you have a doctor looking at this from a first-hand account. So it's very interesting the different perspectives that the Gospels have. Luke records this same story, but Luke, because uh, he's a doctor, because he's prone to making notes of particular details, I believe, includes one extra detail in verse 19. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. This is Luke's version of the same story. He says this, He took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to him, saying, this is the sentence that Mark didn't catch that Luke caught, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. What is the this he's talking about? Well, we understand we're, we're talking about communion. We're talking about the Last Supper. In a few moments, uh, we're going to celebrate the Last Supper. We're going to celebrate communion and observe it. But Jesus here is calling us to first and foremost remember and celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection, to honor and love the victory over sin, death, and the grave. And I believe Luke is recording this additional note because we are to live like Jesus, broken and poured out. In other words, while we're remembering his death, burial, and resurrection, we should also be living a life that is broken and poured out as Jesus did, as the woman did, because we are called to live as Jesus lived and to love as Jesus loved. What would it look like if we lived a life that was broken and poured out? Paul, in the second chapter of Philippians, as he describes what it looks like to follow Christ, says it this way, even if I am being poured out, like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Broken, being poured out. You know, when, we, uh, when we're around people, our strengths are where we want to focus our attention. Because strengths are attractive, right? Right? Uh, you think about what your strengths are as a person. Uh, so-and-so is smart. So-and-so 
looks sharp. So-and-so sings well. She's a great musician. He's so great at this. And strengths are attractive and they're impressive, but strengths can be polarizing because as soon as you find out that someone is perfect in every area of life, how many of you are like me? You just kind of don't like them as much, (laughs) right? And then there comes a chip in the armor and suddenly we find out that Oh, so-and-so's not as perfect as we thought. You know, I always kind of like them. (laughs) Why is that? It's because we identify with brokenness. We identify with weakness. We identify with not necessarily our strengths, but by our shortcomings. I would say this, as a church family, we may impress people with our strengths, but we will connect most deeply through our brokenness. You see, our relationships are forged through the shared experience of our brokenness. Who in your life will you share your brokenness with? Maybe the question is, who in your life can you share your brokenness with? You ever think about why our tears come out of our eyes? I mean, that expression of Emotion could really be expressed out of any part of our body. I chuckle when I think about that. I mean, what if, they just came, what if our tears just came out of our fingertips? I just want you to think about a world where that when we cry, it comes out of our fingertips, right? So when you're upset or when you're emotional, you just do this number and no one can see you crying, Right? What if it came out of your kneecaps? And there was a very specialty market out there for knee pads for the emotional crier. So when you're sitting at a desk in front of someone and you're crying and they're crying and you know because it's coming out of your knees. There's other parts of your body I'm not going to entertain at the moment, but just a couple to keep you guessing. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud supposes that the reason why our tears come from our eyes is that God has designed us to look at each other during our pain. So that even in the midst of tears, even during the midst of pain, we get to see someone else loving us in that moment, accepting us in that moment, and perhaps this is why we cry from our eyes. You know, we we may impress people with our strengths, but I'm convinced that we will connect most deeply through our brokenness. And if you've ever had a shared moment with someone, uh, a shared moment of brokenness where you cried and they cried, uh, something happens in that moment that, that, that forges a bond that doesn't happen when you're comparing your resumes, that doesn't happen when you compare your strengths, but really only happens when you share brokenness. Our relationships are forged through the shared experiences of our brokenness. And I'm convinced that life's greatest breakings will often lead to God's greatest blessings. I want to give you a biblical example of this principle, and then I'm going to give you a a personal example of this principle. Life's greatest breakings will often lead to God's greatest blessings. I want to talk to you about Peter this morning. 
uh, Peter is an amazing story. My goodness, the first time uh, Peter comes face to face with Christ, uh, Peter is at, a, is at a crisis in his life where uh, as an occupation, he's a fisherman, and after fishing all night, he's empty-handed. I want you to think of it, if you had a business and you were open for six days and didn't sell a thing, uh, and, then, and then Jesus shows up and says, well, keep the shop open for one more hour. One more hour? I, just, I was just open all week, and one more hour? This is the equivalent of what Jesus is saying to Peter. Just, just why don't you cast it on this other side one more time? You know the story. Peter does so, and there's so much fish. There's, there's so much fish that the, the fish broke the nets. Uh, the equivalent is in the extra hour, the shop is open. All your inventory is just gone in that one hour because there was so much business in that one hour. How improbable that story is, is what Peter lived in that moment. And Peter, uh, when he recognizes that, he falls on his feet. And if you remember the story, he says, Lord, I'm a sinner. Depart from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. In that moment, he recognized that Jesus was just another teacher. He wasn't another rabbi. He was the son of God. He follows Jesus and his life is that of a follower of Jesus Christ. We skip to the end of Jesus' life and Christ tells him, man, before this thing's over, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, 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 I, I wouldn't do that. Why would I do that? I've given everything I have to follow you. I've given everything I have to be at your feet. There's no reason I would do this. And on the third time he denies him, Jesus sees him and Peter breaks. You, you fast forward through the Gospels into Acts, and who's there preaching on the day of Pentecost? It's the same Peter. It's Peter, man. It's Peter, the one that was so skeptical about putting the, the net out the one last time. It's Peter who said, I'll never deny you, and then racks up three denials before you can blink twice. It's this Peter who's now preaching at the day of Pentecost. And on the other side of his brokenness, Peter never denied Christ. In fact, in fact he, he spent his life declaring who Jesus was. Because God does not waste a hurt, and life's greatest breakings will often lead to God's greatest blessings. Peter is the embodiment of what it means to Live through a life to see your life broken and yet restored. We've talked about dangerous prayers and we talked about, Lord, make me bold. And this is Peter who made this, this, this uh, statement, this prayer, because he had lived a life where he was broken. He had lived a life where Christ had restored that brokenness. And in the opportunity when he would be arrested twice, in the opportunity where um, death would be imminent. He didn't pray for safety. He didn't pray for life. He didn't pray for God to bless him. He didn't pray a blessing on his meal. He said, Lord, in this moment, in the, in the peak uh, stress, the, the, the tension that I feel right now, make us bold. Because he had seen what restoration looks like when someone is restored. Peter, this guy who, whose life fell apart and then all of a sudden was restored by Jesus, this 
was life's greatest blessings leading to God's greatest example. There's a biblical example of this. I want to share a personal example. Uh, This is me when I was eight years old. Someone said the hair. You know, I show this prayer, this picture once or twice a year just so you could sympathize with me in my head. I remember that house. That's 1000 East Bishop in Santa Ana, California. That was the size of our TV, not the monitor to our computer. At that age, all I ever wanted to do was uh, I wanted to play basketball for the Lakers or I wanted a pastor. In that order, really. And soon it would be obvious that I would never play basketball for the Lakers. It hurts when you laugh. So I went to high school. I graduated El Medina High School in 1998. I went to Bible college, and I got my bachelor's and my master's degree because since I wasn't going to play basketball and that career was not, I was going to pastor. So I got my bachelor's and my master's degree. Uh, In 2003, I moved to Oregon, moved to Cottage Grove to start a church. And I came to Oregon with my dreams, my two degrees, my desires, my stuff, everything that would fit in my car, And while I was trying to build something, what I desperately needed was to be broken, and I I didn't know that. And I failed pretty quickly, pretty much at everything. I found myself divorced uh, without a job, without a church, alienating my family, in legal trouble, homeless, alone, broken, And what I didn't know then is what I know now, that my brokenness was exactly what I needed. Um, My brokenness led me to walking into the doors of this church, however many years ago that was. I met Pastor David Van Wormer, who was pastoring at the time. He He had just been installed as the interim pastor. I met Darren. I met Ron and Daphne in the prayer room on Wednesday morning and prayed with them. And here I am, 40 years old, having nearly everything I wanted when I was eight years old. I still can't play ball for the Lakers. But I get to pastor the most amazing group of people. I get to spend my life leading people to authentic faith in Jesus. I'm married to the most amazing person. I have family I love that love me, and we have relationship again. So when I count my blessings at night, among my blessings, I I count the brokenness as a blessing. I believe those whom God uses the greatest are often those who have been broken the deepest. And here's the thing. This prayer is not required. You don't have to pray this prayer to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, there's some of you sitting in this auditorium right now or you're watching online and you could actually preach this message because you're living the brokenness right now. And you're living what it means to go through the worst, most broken part of your life. And during the brokenness, there's a temptation to fight with all your might to hold it together. 
and there's this effort that we, that we get in our own strength to try to, to try to hold it all together. And it's like, it's like emptying a jar of marbles into your hand and trying to hold it all together and realizing that, that the more you try to hold it all together, the, the more the marbles are just dropping all over the floor. And so as your pastor, let me encourage you that if you're trying to hold it all together, just go ahead and let yourself break. Because your brokenness will lead you to the one who restores. I want to look at Psalm, uh, a few verses from Psalms, but Psalms 51 says this. In fact, let's read it together. <clears throat> uh, if you're at home, read this verse out loud. Those of you in the building, let's read it together. Ready, begin. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Boy, here's David in Psalm 51, and he's saying, this brokenness, the broken spirit, the broken heart that I have, this is my sacrifice I give to you. And God does not despise that sacrifice. Uh, Look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 18. Let's say some of these verses together. Let's read this one together as well. Ready, begin. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, are you brokenhearted this morning? Is your spirit crushed this morning? Boy, God is right next to you. He's close to the brokenhearted. And then finally this morning, Psalms 147 says this. Let's say this verse together again. Are also ready, begin. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So this morning's prayer, break me, God. Because the brokenness will lead you to the one who restores. It will lead you to the moment where you run towards God, towards God's people in victory. Um. It's like I want you to imagine sitting and, um, and like you see a, uh, a feather floating through the air. And if you see a fl- feather floating through the air, uh, in fact, if, you, if you've ever been around like a five or a six-year-old and they try to catch that feather that's floating in the air, you know what happens, right? There's so much energy and so much wind created by their activity that as they try to grasp the feather, you can see what the feather does. It does whoop. Right out of their grasp, right? And you just sit there, and this comes with wisdom, with age, and you just sit there and you see the feather, and you watch it, and you watch it, watch it, and it comes down, and right when it's right in front of you, you just go out with two fingers, and you can pluck that feather out of the air. I think a lot of times we are in the middle of our brokenness, and we're just rushing around to see how can we fix this moment? How can I keep this all together? How can I preserve what people think of me? And how can I preserve what, what's happening around me? Boy, boy if, people, if people knew what was happening with my children, I just don't think they'd look at me the same. If people understood my financial uh, stress, they, they, they might not look up to me anymore. If people understood that I'm going through depression right now, they, they, probably, wouldn't, they probably wouldn't let me serve anymore. If people understood what was going on, and it, the moment where we just sit back and we, and we identify what's going on, it's that moment of victory that leads us to the one who restores. What happens when we're broken and poured out? Well, the woman broke open the jar. She poured it out, symbolizing she was giving her whole life broken and poured out. When Jesus was broken, he was 
body was broken and, and he was poured out for you and me so we could be forgiven and restored. I want you to look at what happens right after this scene in Mark chapter 14. Look at verse 6. I love this. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. I love the scene of Jesus coming to the rescue of the woman who broke and poured. And she acknowledges the beauty of the act and she defends the honor of this woman and she defends the broken. And he goes on to say this, the poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. Verse 8, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Boy, Jesus, here he is embracing the enormity of the gift. Jesus lets us know that his greater purposes will be fulfilled through the brokenness. And then verse 9, he says this, Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Remember what he said with the disciples just a few verses later? Do this in remembrance of me. These both are symbols of, uh, of, of honor and respect of what it looks like to be broken and poured out in front of Christ. I love asking people where they work because eventually they'll ask me where I work. And so I get to tell them, well, I, I pastor First Christian Church, downtown Roseburg, uh, church right across the street from the courthouse, the one with all the stained glass windows. And almost every single time, that's the way I describe it. Um, I've shared this before, but usually sometime during the week, I'll, I'll walk around the auditorium and, and I'll pray over the seats and I'll pray over the soundboard and all over the piano and the elements and um, over the musicians. And I, I just walk through and I pray over us and our church family. And normally I find a seat somewhere and whoever normally sits in that seat, <clears throat> I kind of pray over their seats. And so ladies... I sat in your row, well, near your row this week. And I was sitting there, and I, I, I look at these stained glass windows, and if you take a broken piece of glass, and you were to just to frame one broken piece of glass, people would have a lot of questions about your sanity. Because they would take one broken piece of glass, and they would say, why, why are you memorializing this one broken piece of glass? But all of and you take a lot of broken pieces together and you put them together and some of them have different colors and some of them have different shapes and all of a sudden they reveal a masterpiece like what's over here or what's to my left and all of a sudden people don't look at the broken glass anymore they look at the work of art that has been created this is what happens in the church this is what happens with God as we, as we, as, as we are broken and poured out and someone might look at our life and say, man, what would Jesus do with that? I'm sure there's people that look at my life and they say, man, Daniel, what would anyone do with that life? And yet when you take a step back and you see that God has designed us for this huge masterpiece, and can I just be honest with you? You're in this masterpiece. You have a very special place in God's kingdom and in God's family. It's going to be a difficult prayer but we're going to pray this prayer, Lord, break me. Would you bow your heads for a moment? We'll pray, we'll pray this together. Our worship team's going to come forward, and they're going to help us worship in a moment.
Father, break us so we can be fully dependent on you. Father, we want to know you intimately and serve you faithfully. So break us so that we can do that. Break us so that we can be emptied out, poured out in service to you. Heavenly Father, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our life and I pray that we would be transformed and I pray that whatever image that we have of ourselves would be totally eradicated by, by what you see in our life. Father, I pray that we would be broken and poured out, that we would recognize that, that we have a part in God's masterpiece. Father, thank you for this woman that you said we would remember whenever we think about you being broken and poured out, that we would remember this symbolic gesture. I thank you that even before you made the world, you loved us and you chose us to be holy and without fault in your eyes, and that you decided in advance to adopt us into your family by bringing us to yourself. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Father, you are so rich in kindness and grace to purchase our freedom with the blood of Jesus Christ and to forgive us and to shower us with kindness. I'm going to ask you to remain with your heads bowed for a moment as we consider this prayer break me. What would it look like to pray this prayer? Well, if you, if you prayed the prayer last week, search me, then, then you know there's an area that God has revealed to you. There's an area of selfishness, a sin, a habit that might be preventing you from fully trusting and knowing God. And so maybe today it's an opportunity for you to just ask God to break you in this area, to break you of the selfishness of this sin, of this habit. And if you've never placed tr your trust in God, and I want to talk to you for just a minute with our heads bowed, and if you're at home and you've never placed your trust in Christ, why would Jesus be broken and poured out so that he could go to the cross so that whosoever would call on his name would be saved? Because here's the thing, without Christ... You were broken already. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages the, of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life. We were broken without Christ already, and we can't heal ourselves, and so we come to Christ. We come to the one who heals us. We come to the one who forgives us of our sin so that we could have life again. In a few moments, we're going to take communion. Steve Wicker is going to lead us in communion. And when he does, perhaps this is the first time you would receive communion as a follower of Christ. We encourage you to come to Jesus. For those of you in the room and those of you watching online, we encourage you to prepare your communion elements. There's going to be stations all around this auditorium. And we would ask that you would, if you'd like to, you can take the elements right there as the as the attendant gives it to you or we'd invite you to take the cups 
back to your seat and have a moment where you pray this prayer. Break me, God. Because following Jesus was never meant to be safe. We might impress people with our strengths, but, but we connect most deeply through our brokenness. And life's greatest breakings will often lead to God's greatest blessings. So Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would break us. That in our brokenings, we would find that your blessings lie on the other side of them. That in our brokenness, that we wouldn't doubt you, that we wouldn't uh, fear what would happen to us, but that we would understand that there's things, that there's circumstances in our life that are causing us to focus on you just a little bit more. That when the things of this earth pass away, we, 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 we turn our hearts and our eyes to you in a real powerful way, Lord. So Father, break us. And in our breaking, we pray that we would trust you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.